Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am really excited to get us into this study of the book of Galatians. Uh, it begins today. Uh, we're going to take it through Palm Sunday, uh, just right before Easter. Uh, actually, that's April Fool's Day as well. And uh, who knows how we might surprise you that day. Um, but we're going to study this book, and I am really excited to do so. This, uh, the book of Galatians is, at least at this point in my life, my favorite book of the Bible. And God has probably used this book of the Bible to um, just explode my understanding of, of who he is and what he's done. Uh, the biblical word for it would be the understanding of the gospel. And uh, God has used this book really richly in my life. So I'm excited to preach it. Since we started the church about three years ago, I've been excited for this day to happen. And so here we are, and uh, we're kicking it off. So um, just so you know, the way this will work is it, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, if you can, uh, with, uh, with a, a Bible or a smartphone app or some of you have iPads or Kindles or whatever, that's fine. We'll put other quotes and things like that on the screen if we're looking at other parts of the Bible, but we want you to um, get used to being able to read the scripture and see it in there. And uh, the, the, the idea that I've had in my head as I've been preparing for this series is this phrase, gospel fluency, gospel fluency. It's a phrase that I first heard from a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, who's part of our same church planning network. He's in Tacoma, Washington. I heard him use this phrase, and I just started just chewing on that whole idea, gospel fluency. Right? When you hear the idea of fluency, you think of language. Right? You're fluent in, in a spoken language, maybe even fluent in a programming or computer kind of language. There's fluency. How many of you, by show of hands, are fluent in more than one language? Okay, so a few of you. And so uh, you, fluency means you can, you can speak it naturally, normally, uh, easily. Uh, you can, uh, if you're around probably that language uh, over an extended period of time, you begin to think in that language. Um, that you have multiple ways to say the same thing. Uh, that's what it is to be fluent. You know, when I think about, uh, for me, as it relates to language, I'm fluent in one language, English, and I know a little bit of Spanish. I took Spanish all through, you know, middle school and high school and a little bit in college, but I never was immersed in it. I never lived in a culture where they spoke Spanish, and so my Spanish, maybe like yours, is a bit limited, right? So I, I, could, go to, I could go to Mexico and say, ¿Dónde está el baño? <laughs> I could use the restroom. I could go to, I could, uh, let's see, quiero un hamburgueso, por favor, like a hamburger. I don't know why you'd get a hamburger in Mexico, but. But you could do that, right? And, and you could, but if you said to me, well, now what's another way to ask how to go to the, where the restroom is? Donde está el baño? I mean, that's all I got, right? So I'm not, I'm not fluent. And, and, and a lot of times I think if I just add L to the front of the word and O to the end of the word, then I can, like, I, I know it, right? But, but I'm not fluent. And, and, and the analogy here is that the gospel is a message, it's, it's news is what it is. We're going to talk in depth today about what that word gospel means. So if that's a new word to you, we'll explore that. Um, but the gospel can become, as a message, almost a language that you can speak to your heart, speak to one another, speak to your family, talk with other people. And, and, and at its most basic level, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. And that is a great truth, isn't it? 
Jesus died for our sins. We'll unpack more of what that is today. Um, but there are times in life and situations that you face where if, if your only understanding of Christianity is Jesus died for our sins, you lack some of the resources to be able to specifically understand how the truth about God applies to your life. So you might have a situation where you have a, a difficult decision to make about, do, do I buy that house? Do I take that job? Do I sell this house? Do I move here? Do we, right? And you had a decision. How does, how does the gospel relate to that? Maybe you have just certain issues you're dealing with personally. Of, there's this bad habit that you're trying to overcome. And I just feel like I can't get any traction or, you know, I just find that, that in certain situations, I'm just very insecure and worried about what people think. And, and even though it doesn't always come out, I've got this anger deep inside me. And how do you deal with that? Well, a follower of Christ should deal with all of those sorts of things through the lens of the gospel. What does the message of Jesus say about that? And sadly, most Christians, I would say, not, not including just those of you who might be new to this or exploring this, and you would go, I, I wouldn't even consider myself a Christian. But even Christians aren't fluent in the language of the gospel. And therefore, what happens is life feels very disjointed. It feels like here's the spiritual part of my life. Here's the religious part of my life. When I go to church on Sunday, I'm glad that Jesus died for me, and, and I guess I go to heaven. But when I live the rest of my life, I, I don't see how they're connected. And, and yet here, we believe as a church that all of life is all for Jesus. And so if all of life is to practically become all for Jesus, we've got to get fluent in the language of the gospel. And so that's my goal, not, not just for today, but over the course of this series. You know, in order to be fluent in a language, you have to get immersed in it for a long period of time. And so uh, that's our goal for this 12-week series, is that we would get immersed and around it. Uh, now, I did some work on just trying to investigate how does, how does one become fluent in a language? What do you do? And so I just typed that in and thought, what, what are the parallels that we could relate to this Idea. Well, to become fluent in language, we've kind of already said this. Number one, you've got to listen to native speakers in natural context as much as possible. Or you can take Spanish classes till you're graduated, or you can move there, live there for a semester abroad or something, right? And so in order to, to become fluent in the gospel, you've got to get around people that know and understand and have processed through what the truth of God's word is and, and, and how it applies to things. And you've got to get around them. And so that's one of the reasons why we encourage you and everyone to be in a, in a community. We call them redemption communities. They're small groups of people that meet during the week. Uh, they're listed in the on-ramp, the four new ones. We've got other ones that are already going, but those are four specifically new ones that you could join. And those communities are, like, the goal is that that would be an environment where you start to get around some people that speak the gospel. Because here's the thing. You, you speak other language naturally. Here's the natural language of the, the human heart. I would call it performance or religion or self-righteousness or effort, it, it, moral effort, moral achievement. That, that's, that's the natural language of the heart. It's the idea of if I do the right thing, then I'll be accepted. I'll be accepted by God, if you're kind of religious. If, if it's not that, it's then I'll be accepted by my parents or by my peer group 
or by the people in my industry or profession. Or maybe it's even if I do these things, then I'll know I'm someone. I'll I'll be able to accept me. I'll be able to look me in the mirror and go, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? And so everybody naturally speaks that language. They're basing their life, they're justifying their, their existence on something. The religious people are doing that, and the irreligious people are doing that. That's the default mode of the heart. F- for me, you know, I, I grew up uh, an only child. Both my parents were school teachers, which meant they were around a lot. I couldn't get away with anything. And I heard a lot of stories about all the rotten kids in their classes, right? So for me, I mean, the point of life was to grow up and not be like earnest. My dad actually told me he'd maim me if I named a kid Ernest, because he had a kid Ernest in his class that was a mess, right? And so if your name is Ernest, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, nothing personal against you today. But, but that was like, be a good kid. That's what I lived for. That was what I was about. It didn't take a particularly religious form, but it was, it was moralism. That was the natural language. So if I'm ever going to learn a new language, a language of grace and of God's love and of God's acceptance, regardless of what I've done, if I'm ever going to learn that new language, i got to get around people that speak it. Here's a second way to become fluent in a language is practice speaking every day. Try to learn new words and phrases every day. If possible, practice with native speakers and encourage them to correct you. One of the most challenging things, if you ever tried to learn a language, is is to start saying stuff out loud. It's really risky, and you can sound stupid, and you don't really know how to say it, and you have to... but, But to practice speaking... This new language of the gospel every day. As you, as you read God's word and as you begin to understand, okay, here's, here's what's true about the world. Begin to speak that to yourself and to those around you. Number three, practice the sounds in the language that are most difficult for non-native speakers. So I'm, I'm told, I haven't had to learn English as a second language, I'm told it's a very difficult language to learn. Because sometimes the A sounds like A, and sometimes it sounds like ah, and sometimes the, the K is silent, and sometimes, and why does a PH sound like F? And, right? and, and I see this even as we're teaching our daughter to read. Right? And, and the rules that are a rule here doesn't seem like a rule here. And what, what's going on with this, right? Uh, and, and there are sounds. Listen, the native language, again, of a heart is, is morality be a good person, achieve, perform. And so we've got to practice the sounds that are most foreign to us, which that sound is the sound of grace, the sound that you're accepted even when you don't perform, even when all you do perform is short. That's how you become fluent. You practice that sound the most. You say, oh, I got to, re- I got to repeat grace. I got to remind myself that it's a gift of God. Here's the fourth thing is to think in the language as much as possible instead of thinking in your native language and then translating. Right? And that happens just over time as you're immersed in, uh, around people that are speaking the language, in this case, the language of the gospel. I'll read books, magazine articles, other real-life material whenever possible. One of the things that I had, the, I got to put this study guide together, and I did it, I asked to do it just to help me get ready for the series. And uh, one of the things I put in here in each week 
is an article. And if I were to, if you were to say, Luke, what has helped you outside of Scripture? What other resources have helped you understand the gospel the most? They're all in here. And these are the kind of things where if I could have everyone that I know read these things, I would have them do it. And so I just said, well, let's put it in there, make it available. And so this would be another reason why pick this up. You can download it off the website for free if you want, but, but get, get around these things so that you can go, okay, this is how this starts to apply. A couple more quickly. Uh, number six, read some material in the language every day. That's why we need to be in the Bible. Not, not so we can, again, out of our natural language, go, look at me. I read my Bible every day. Aren't I spiritual? But to go, there's good news here. See, the Bible isn't primarily a, a blueprint for life or a book of rules that you should. It's primarily a story of God's grace, God's rescuing sinful, lost, broken people and giving them new life. That's what it's about. So I need that story every day. And then finally, number seven, make sure you know the full cultural meaning of slang phrases before attempting to use them. Uh, some of you who have learned another language, I'm sure we could get you up here and you could tell funny stories about how you, you know, tried to say something and instead told someone they were ugly or, you know, whatever that was and they looked at you funny. Here's, here's the deal. And if you're, if you're a guest or you would consider yourself more of an outsider from us, one of the things you'll notice quickly around church is there's a lot of insider language, right? And there's like a little bit of a code you feel like you got to figure out. You know, what is this, right? And, and if you're in it, you, you don't even notice. It's like telling a fish they're in water. What water, you know? Um, but, but there's this kind of insider code. And what will happen sometimes is, is just to sort of assimilate into the community, you start taking, using the code, right? So, so you might see on our program or on our wall, gospel-centered, outward-focused. And, and so you go, ah, I don't know what that is, but it, man, they talk about it a lot. So are you gospel? Yes, I'm gospel-centered. And you don't, even know what you, you don't even know what that means. And so we're going to try over the course of this series in some of those ideas. Uh, you know, another one you'll hear today, and this will be in some of the quotes, is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That is a, that's an amazing phrase. It's incredible. It's so deep and rich when you understand it. But do you know what it means? Get, get to the point where you can learn those things before you use them and just assume you, you, you know. And so we're, that's what this series is going to be about, is just to try to help us to grow in that gospel fluency. Uh, we've titled this series Fighting for Grace, which really, when you think about it, is kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Fighting, it's aggressive, it's violent for grace. Grace is accepting, and grace is good, and grace is kind. Fighting for grace. And that's what's going on in this letter. In this letter, the Apostle Paul, who started many of the New Testament churches, is writing to these churches in the region of Galatia, and this is an aggressive letter. His tone, at times even, sounds harsh. It's in your face. He's going to say things we're going to study today that you're going to, some of you will even be offended by. And, 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 and the reason is because he feels like there is a lot at stake. And what is at stake is grace. See, what happens is he knows that, that we're so prone to just default back to our language of be a good person, be religious, be spiritual, do the right thing. And disconnecting from why you would do any of that. 
He knows that that's the case, and so he's going to fight for this. This is, a, this is not a new fight. This fight has gone on for centuries. Uh, one of the big places where this fight took place is in the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. And uh, Martin Luther, uh, German, uh, he, was a, he was a monk, I guess, and then became a, a German pastor. Um, he was fighting this fight for grace. And so he uh, explained this in, in this quote. This is his introduction to his commentary on Galatians. Just so you know, 1500s, it's a little wordy, okay? So if you're overwhelmed by it, just hang in there. Here's what he says. He says, the one doctrine that I have supremely in my heart is that of faith in Christ, from whom, through whom, and unto whom all my theological thinking flows back and forth day and night. He's saying, listen, this, this idea of Christ is central. Everything, everything connects to it. He says, this rock, which we call the doctrine of, the justi- of justification through faith. Uh, by the way, just so you know what that is, justified is to be made right with God. So the doctrine of being made right with God by faith, by trusting in him, that's what's at stake. This rock, which we shall call the doctrine of justification through faith, was shaken by Satan in paradise when he persuaded our first parents that they might by their own wisdom and power become like God. Ever since then, the whole world has invented innumerable religions and ways through which, without the aid of Christ, to use their works to redeem themselves from evil and sins. By the way, that's what all religions are about for the most part, other than, the, other than biblical Christianity, is, is it's an attempt to get to God. How can I be a good person and get to God? And the analogy I've always liked is, you know, imagine that you lined up on the Grand Canyon with Carl Lewis. And uh, you were going to have a, a jumping contest. Who could, who could jump the Grand Canyon, right? And, uh, you know, Chris here, he's pretty athletic. He'd probably get a little further than me. He wouldn't get as far as Carl Lewis. But all of us are going to land in the canyon, right? No one's going to make it. And all, all religions are an attempt to jump across this chasm that can't be jumped across, except Christianity is god building a bridge across, God coming to us. All other religions are, are man working their way to God. Christianity is God coming down to man. We just celebrated that with Christmas. So, so, so this, is, this is what's at stake. It, and it's a fight, he's about to say. Listen to how he finishes this quote. The devil, our adversary, who continually rages about seeking to devour us, is not dead. Likewise, our flesh, an old man, is yet alive. Besides this, all kinds of temptations vex and oppress us on every side. What a good word, vex. I like that. So that this doctrine can never be taught, urged, and repeated enough. If this doctrine is lost, then also the whole knowledge of truth, life, and salvation is lost. If this doctrine flourish, then all good things flourish. Martin Luther here, as he's fighting for grace in the 1500s, is saying this truth, this truth that you can be made right with God just by faith, by trusting him, rather than by doing things, that is so important, everything else hinges to it, and it cannot be taught, urged, or repeated enough. And so what we will do for this series is we will teach And we will urge, and we will repeat it every week. And I hope that even every week there's a sense of like, that's what we talked about last week. 
Because if that's the case, I will know that I have been faithful to this book. But I hope that, that, that it won't be sort of, that's what he talked about last week. But that instead it will be, look at what God has done. I, I'm continually amazed by it. That's what we're after with this series. So enough, uh, enough warm up. Let's, uh, let's get in, into it. And uh, we'll have actually a bit more warm up here. We gotta understand, um, gotta understand the background. This will be the last, last little bit before we actually dive into these verses. You gotta understand the background. In, in any book that you're gonna study, you gotta know who's writing this, who's he writing it to, why, what's the occasion, what's the situation here. That's true all the time. It's especially true of the book of Galatians. There are some things over these next few weeks that if you don't get the background, you're going to feel lost. And perhaps if you've read the Bible and had a hard time connecting with it, it's maybe because you just didn't know the background. And, and so hopefully this will help you. Um, the first thing to notice is that this is a letter written to Galatian Christians. And Galatia was a region um, in kind of East, or I'm sorry, West Asia. And, uh, and it's written to Christians. Now, you would think, based on what I've said, that this is about grace and this is about the gospel. You would think, well, that's the, the basic message of Christianity. Surely this must be a book for uh, people who don't know Jesus yet, people who've never heard the gospel. No, it's a book for Christians. Because Christians tend to forget. Right? You may think, oh, Christians think they have their act together. Not the honest ones. They know how much they forget. And we need to be reminded continually. And, and you never move past the gospel. Uh, Tim Keller has said that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. The way you grow as a Christian is the same way you start as a Christian, which is by faith in Christ. So that's the first thing to see. It's written to Christians. But, but something specific has happened in this situation. So Paul has, Paul has gone. His ministry was primarily to Gentiles. That's non-Jews. And Paul has gone all around, and he's started new churches, and he's proclaimed uh, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus Christ came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again so that whoever would trust him could be made right with God, could be justified by faith. Apart from works of the law, apart from ethnicity, Apart from whether you were Jewish or Gentile, it didn't matter. He's, he's gone and he's planted these churches. And so he started this church in Galatia. And what's happened now is some, some people have moved from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the, it was the place. It was where the church started. It was where you know, Jesus had died. It was, you know, the apostles were there. So some guys have moved from Jerusalem to Galatia. And they have kind of, they, they weren't sent out by the apostles in Jerusalem but they've kind of taken that authority upon themselves. Like, well, we, back in our old church, we do this, you know, or that, that's kind of what, what they thought. Paul calls these guys the Judaizers, and here's who they were. They were Jewish Christians who were trying to persuade the Galatians that they not only needed to believe in Jesus, but they also needed to keep the Jewish ceremonial law. Now, any show of hands, who's familiar with the Jewish ceremonial law, right? Not much, right? So what are we talking about here? Here's what they were saying. They were saying, that's great. Jesus died for your sins. That's wonderful. Yes, you should believe in him, but you should also do the things that make you uniquely Jewish, namely, be circumcised and keep kosher food laws. 
So that's their main argument. It's, it's, the, the, it's Jesus plus. They're for Jesus, but they're also for these other things. Part of what they're saying really is, in order to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. Well, this message goes totally contrary to what Paul has been proclaiming to all these Gentiles. And so the the accusation from the Judaizers is, well, Paul is just preaching easy believism, right? He knows that, I mean, what Gentile man is going to want to get circumcised? Show of hands. None, right? I mean... None. Like, so, so he's going, well, no one's going to want to do that. And, I mean, those Gentiles, I mean, they like their BLT sandwiches and all that, you know, pork and, you know, whatever. They like lobster and, or whatever it is. They're not going to give that up. So they're accusing Paul of, of, of preaching easy believism, of lessening the, the gospel, of watering it down. That's what they're saying. But, in fact, it's not that Paul is reducing it. It's that they're adding to it. And Jesus plus anything else is a different message. So this is causing uh, incredible tension. And it's causing uh, one set of tension is ethnically and relationally among the Gentiles and the Jews in this church, right? Because it's dividing them. And Paul is concerned even here as you read through this book that, that if this teaching gets a hold, there might become a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And he knows that that would undermine the unity that there is in the gospel. And so this is a big issue that's causing that kind of division. But it's also minimizing the work of Jesus. It's making what Jesus has done seem small and what people could do seem big. So in Galatians there, turn to chapter 2, verse 21. Here's what he says. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. NIV says Christ died for nothing. If you could be made right with God by keeping all the rules, then what did Jesus die for? Nothing. And so there is a lot at stake here. In fact, the, this, this issue doesn't go away. The, the church had been dealing with, with this beforehand, in the, apparently in the church in Jerusalem, and then it has spread to Galatia. Um, after this, Acts 15 records what's called the Jerusalem Council, the first council of all the main leaders of the church coming together to argue over this question. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised and keep food laws in order to be saved? There's a lot at stake here, and Paul is fighting it here from the early days. Uh, another thing, background, these first two chapters are more personal in nature. Paul defending his authority as, as an apostle. Uh, chapters three and four are more doctrinal, teaching into here's what the gospel's about. And chapters five and six then get to the application of how does this flesh out, uh, that we actually fulfill the law by, by loving one another. So... There's the background. Let's dig into the passage itself. And uh, we're going to look at these first 10 verses. And here's what we're going to see in this text. We're going to see two things. What the gospel is and why we must fight for it. What the gospel is and why we must fight for it. If we're going to become fluent in the gospel, we've got to first go, what is it? So he's going to give us a number of things that, that clue us into that. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle... That word apostle means one who's sent by Jesus with the message, uh, specifically one uh, going to start churches, has the authority entrusted to him by Christ. 
Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul starts off saying, listen, my authority doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from some self-appointed thing. It came from, from Jesus Christ himself, who's raised from the dead. Verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse 3, grace to you. Isn't that interesting? The first word to them really is grace. Grace is simply unmerited favor or blessing from God that you don't deserve. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to get into the specifics of the gospel here. What is the gospel? Well, it starts in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. These two verses show us some important nuggets of truth about what the gospel message is. Paul writes it, and the scripture records it a number of different ways through the scripture, but we get in essence what it is in these two verses. The first thing that we see is that the gospel tells us that we are helpless and lost. We are helpless and lost. Look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That word deliver means to rescue, to save, to pull out of a dangerous situation. To deliver us. Well, think about this for a moment. When do you need to be rescued? When you know when you, where you are? And you're safe and secure and things are good? No. You need to be rescued when you're lost, when you're helpless, when, when you're drowning and someone goes to rescue you, it's not because you're a proficient swimmer at that moment. Right? When, when the search and rescue team goes out to find you after a hike, it's not because you have a compass and a GPS and a cell phone that work. It's because you're lost. And so this gospel message is a message for people who know that they're helpless and lost. It's for people who know that they are drowning. That's who this is for. And this word deliver brings to mind the, the word from the Exodus. If you read the book of Exodus, one of the early stories, that the, the main event of the Old Testament is the people of God in slavery in Egypt. And they are delivered out of Egypt, out of this land of slavery, into a new promised land of life and hope. They're rescued, and they're rescued because they were helpless. So the message of, of Christianity is for the helpless, for the lost. If you're here today and you go, I'm great. I don't have any needs. And if I stood before God right now, I think he'd say, we just need more people like you. If that's where you stand, listen, you don't, you don't understand it, the gospel, as, as Paul's going to say it here. And worse yet, if you were to, God forbid, die and stand before God, you would have a very rude awakening. Because what he would tell you is, you were helpless and lost, and you didn't think so. So the gospel's for those who are helpless and lost. It tells us that Jesus died as a substitute for those people. So look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. 
He, why, why did he die? Not just to be a good example. Not just to say, when you're mistreated, here's what you should do. He died as a substitute. He died in your place, right? So, so students, you will at times have a substitute teacher. That's a teacher in your teacher's place. Right? Jesus dies as a substitute. He gives himself on the cross. He dies for our sins. He has God's anger and wrath against our sin poured on him as a substitute. Here's how uh, Tim Keller says it in this quote. He says, Christ's death was not just a general sacrifice, but a substitutionary one. This means he did not merely buy us a second chance, but that he did all we needed to do. If Jesus' death really paid for our sins on our behalf, then we can never fall back into condemnation. Why? Because God would then be getting two payments for the same sin, which is unjust. He's saying, Jesus paid it all. That's enough. It's finished. Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Those of us who know we need rescue. Third thing we see that by faith you, in, this, in this rescue, you can enter the age to come. Right? So look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, looked at that, to deliver us, looked at that, from the present evil age. What is the present evil age? That's here. That's now. That's this world. That's every time you feel as you watch the news, what is wrong with this place? That's all the selfishness and all the sin and all the abuse and all the war and all the jealousy and all the pettiness. It's all of it. And, and, and we're in it, right? We're, we've done our part pretty well. This place is a mess and we've done our share. And this is saying that the message of the gospel is that Jesus died to rescue helpless people out of that situation. Just as he rescued the, uh, the Jews out of Egypt and slavery there, he's rescuing us out of a present evil, hopeless age, and therefore rescuing us into an age to come. The new heavens, the new earth is how the Bible describes it. The idea that this creation will be renewed. God himself will wipe away the tears of his people. Sin and death and pain will be no more. Jesus died as a substitute for helpless, lost people so that they could live with him forever in the age to come. Do you know another way to say that? I, I saw it last night as I was watching football. That was pretty rough, by the way. I'm a Broncos fan, so I didn't expect much, but that was bad. Any of you see the commercial by Focus on the Family? There's a bunch of little kids. And you know what they said? They said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message of the gospel. And then at the very end, this little girl, just so cute, goes on there and she goes, wow. 
And I hope that as you hear this, I, I hope there's something in your heart that goes, wow, Jesus gave himself to deliver me from this present evil age. Wow. And then you might think, well, why? Why, why, would, I, why would he do that for me? Well, he says, verse four, according to the will of our God and Father. Why did he do this? He did this out of sheer grace, according to his will, for his good pleasure. That's why. You say, well, well, well didn't he see something good in me, and, and so that's why he did this for me? No, quite the opposite. All he saw, the only thing you brought to the table was rebellion and sin and pride. And according to his will, you, you, it's by sheer grace. It's what John chapter 1 says, where it says that, that to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a message for helpless, lost people who need Jesus as their substitute so that they can live forever with him in the age to come. And it's a message of sheer grace. And it results in God getting glory. In God getting recognition. Look at verse five. To whom be the glory forever and ever. What is at stake here in this message of grace? It's, it's God's glory. It's God's fame. It's God's renown. It's the wonder, the wow of God. See, because listen, the more it's Jesus plus what I do, the more I'm looking for the wow. I'm looking for the pat on the back. I'm looking for the, isn't he a good boy? This is amazing. Jesus gave himself to rescue helpless lost people by sheer grace for his glory. And God says in his word that he will not share his glory with another. And so at stake in this very discussion of the gospel is God's glory, and that's why we should fight for it. So we looked at what the gospel is. Why do we fight for it? We'll look at that, verses 6 through 10. Interesting here, because after most of Paul's letters, once he gives this introduction, you know, Paul, an apostle, grace to you, da 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 usually then the next thing he does is he writes a bunch of encouraging things. I always remember to pray for you. When I think about your sincere faith and your labor of love and your work of hope, and right in 1 Thessalonians, he went, we just studied that, right? He, he went for like four chapters and you're like Paul we get it you know we like you like these people got it not in this book there's no wow you're amazing it's really kind of the other way verse six I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel it's not warm and encouraging. It's shock. It's bewilderment. What, what are you doing? I'm astonished at this. I, I can't imagine you would start taking on all this extra religion from the Judaizers. What, how are you letting them convince you of this? I'm shocked. I'm disappointed. He says this happened quickly. Uh, the same thing happens in, the, in uh, the Exodus. After the people of Israel are rescued, they're delivered, uh, they see this powerful work of God, and instead they go back and they make a golden calf. 
And uh, God's up on this mountain meeting with Moses. And, and here's, here's what he says to Moses about this. The Lord said to Moses, go down for uh, your people. Right? This is like when your kid acts up and your spouse is like, uh, your daughter needs you to talk to her, right? Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly, same word, quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Just as the Jews were delivered by God, the Galatians have been delivered from sin by Jesus. And just as the, uh, just as the Jews in the Old Testament quickly wandered away, these Galatians have quickly wandered away. Why? Because the native tongue human effort and Jesus plus so it's just natural if deserted him quickly there's four reasons Paul gives us why we have to fight for this gospel the first one is that embracing a different gospel or or say it this way deserting the truth of the gospel is deserting Jesus himself you see verse 6 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. He doesn't say, I'm astonished you're deserting this doctrine, this set of beliefs. You're deserting him. This is personal, right? Because what what all of this gospel does is it gives you him. And if you're walking away from that, you're walking away from him. Second reason is this. Another gospel is no gospel at all. Any other message of, of, that reports to be good news of how you can be made right with God isn't right. It's not true. You go, wow, that sounds exclusive. Listen to what Paul says. Verse six. You're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort literally means to pervert. It means to turn it completely on its head. It's, it's not a, you know, three degrees off. It's 180 degrees wrong. And so in verse 6, he says it's a different gospel. In verse 7, he calls it a distorted or perverted gospel. In verse 8, he says it's a gospel contrary. This, this message is not a true message. And, and listen, here's what's so hard, is there are so many who believe a different message. And they sincerely believe it. They really do. They're nice people. We love them. We know them. And, 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 and many of us have been them. And, and yet Paul is saying this is so serious. That no matter how sincere, no matter how kind, no matter how loved you are, you got to get this right. Because any other message of hope that's not really a message of hope is just leading people astray. So we fight for the gospel. Because to desert it is to desert Jesus and another gospel isn't really another gospel. Here's the third reason. This is serious. I told you Paul's fighting in this letter. Here's what he says in verses 8 and 9 is that to desert the gospel is to be damned. That's a strong word, right? That's, I'm using that intentionally. It's to be damned. It's to be condemned to hell. 
eternal destruction. Don't take my word for it. Look at it. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, even if I come back later and tell you Jesus plus, let me be accursed. If an angel comes to you and says Jesus plus, let him be accursed. And this word accursed is the Greek word anathema, means devoted to destruction. Paul is saying you have to embrace this message because if you don't, if you turn aside to it, you'll be damned. Paul, you don't really mean that. Read verse nine. As we have said before, so now I say again, he's going, I've told you this before, I'm gonna tell you again. I mean this, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's saying, you're going to embrace a false gospel? You're going to drift from the true message of Christianity? To hell with you and your false gospel. It's literally what he's saying. This is serious. He means business here. And this, this, should, this should weigh heavy on you. Right? I mean, this is... And this, this is God and his word. And, and the moment that you start to think that, you know, well, well, I'm not one of those people that would desert that, desert him. You, you have to remember, the only reason you have him at all is by sheer grace. So this is not, you're a good person, so you held on to it. This is, God, why did you allow me to, to hear and respond to this true message? It should shock you. It should awe you that God has been so gracious. And yet there is much at stake I gotta address this just because I think it's the context we're in, the situation we're in as a church. We live in a community where there are many people, maybe you're here today, you would consider yourself part of this tradition or grew up in this tradition, but we're in a community where many people have a faith that's based on an angel that came and gave a different gospel, just as is described in verse eight. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormons. If you're here today and you'd consider yourself Mormon or you come from that background, um, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And, uh, and that's an encouraging thing that you're here. And, and my point here is not specifically to, to, to pick on Mormonism. Mormonism is just one of the many attempts to try to jump across the canyon. And everybody's got a different attempt they're trying. But let's talk about this specific one. And, I, and so here, here's what I found just right on their website. This is not a secret. This is not, well, I don't know that that's really the case. This is right out there for you to look at. Here's the story. In 1823, Joseph Smith was visited by a heavenly messenger named Moroni. That's an angel. Just as angels often appeared to apostles in the New Testament. Moroni told Joseph about a record of the ancient inhabitants of the American continent that was buried in a nearby hill. He said it contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was written on thin metal sheets of gold. Joseph translated the book into English. The book was named the Book of Mormon. After Mormon, the ancient prophet who compiled it. So this point is just saying, an angel came and said, there's a fullness of the gospel that you need to see. So we gotta go, okay, is it consistent with Paul's? Because if it isn't, it's wrong. Here's what it says. And you go to their articles of faith. It says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. 
And oh, how I wish there was a period there. If there was, it'd be the gospel. But there's a comma. There's a plus. By obedience to the laws and the ordinances of the gospel. It's the same error of the Judaizers. It's Jesus plus. Now, it's different rules, right? And it's different thing. I mean, I don't think anyone in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is encouraging circumcision or kosher. It's other stuff. It's moral effort and other specific things. But it's the same thing. And the reason that message resonates with so many people is because it, it, it's consistent with the language of our hearts. But it's another gospel. And Paul says there are serious consequences for embracing it. Here's the last reason that uh, we need to fight for this is that we're servants of Jesus, not men. You may at this point go, gosh, this is, sounds just so arrogant and so exclusive. Listen, this isn't, this isn't my claim. This is, this is Paul's claim. Jesus made the same claim in John 14 where he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you feel like it's too exclusive, it, it, your issue's with Jesus, not with me. But what Paul says here is, if you're a servant of Christ, then you'll hold fast to this. He he says, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Remember, their, their argument against him was, oh, he's just trying to water it down. He's trying to make it easy so that everyone can jump over the, the hoop, and, right? And he's saying, did you hear what I just said about eternal condemnation? Am I now trying to please man? No, he's going, I'm trying to please God. And then he finishes saying, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can serve man or you can serve Christ. You can uh, change a bunch of things and go, well, maybe Jesus really wasn't that exclusive because that would be offensive to people. Please man, hold fast to it. Serve Christ. Now listen, everything's not worth fighting over. And and some of you that, you know, you're more combative in nature, you're like, yeah, yeah, fighting, we're arguing, yeah, we're getting after it. Paul's willing to do that about the gospel. There's a lot of other things he doesn't fight about. But this is crucial. Apart from this, you're still hopeless and lost. So how do we respond to this? Well, my hope is that uh, for those of you that are here that up to this point had not yet considered yourself a follower of Jesus, that you would believe in him. You would trust in him. That you would see that apart from him, you will still be hopeless and lost. That you would trust him. That you would consider yourself and cry out to him in faith. For others of you that that would already consider yourself a Christian, I hope that this message and this series, uh, just like that commercial last night, helps you go, wow. Wow, God is good. That is great news. And for all of us, I hope that God will use this series to help us become fluent in the language of the gospel. When I was in high school, I was in a Bible study with some guys. They were athletes a little bit older than me. looked up to them, and, and uh, it was just ignorance on fire. 
pretty much. We would look up a word in the back of the Bible and then look up all the verses and pretend like we knew what we were doing. And we did it at my friend Josh's house. And his, his dad has a couple different degrees in theology and, uh, and would always be in the basement. And he could always hear us. I guess he was reading or, I don't know, doing something. And, and he wouldn't come up. I mean, we, we didn't know what we were talking about. But he never came up to, like, correct us. I, I, that would be really hard for me. I'd always want to be, like, popping up going, you're wrong, you know. But he didn't do that. There was only one time he ever did. And it was a time when we were, uh, we were talking about other religions. We were talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and talking about Mormonism and talking about, going, well, I heard this and I heard that and I heard the da da da, you know. And, and let me encourage you here, as you gather in communities this week to discuss and apply this text, don't go there. Right? D- don't turn it into a discussion of let's, let's rip on people of other faiths. Study what's true. But, but the, so, so that's what we're doing. We're talking about all that stuff. And, and, and the only time he comes up, and he's, he's got white hair and this white beard, and he comes up the stairs. He didn't even come up all the way. There was like a, you know, slats. And he just looked through the slats. He was gentlemen. We're all like, <laughs> gentlemen, there's only one way to know the counterfeit, to study the real thing. He walked downstairs. The only way you'll know if other things aren't true is if you know the real thing. And the only way you'll be able to apply what actually is best for your own heart is if you know the real thing. So I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll keep coming back over these next few weeks as we keep studying this. And I hope that even the songs and the, the way we pray for each other and the way we meet together this week will we'll grow us in our love and appreciation for what Jesus has done. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, uh, this word. Thank you for the, the message.